everybody. Welcome to Humane Voices. I am Carrie, and today I have uh, an old dear friend and colleague uh, old, by old Dave. I what didn't? I'm just saying that we've known each other for a long time. How are you doing? This is the fabulous Dave Polly. I'm doing great, Carrie, and definitely I prefer to think of us as longtime friends. That's right, long in the tooth, long in yeah. the tooth. You yeah, know. That, yeah, that old friend moniker is getting too realistic. Right, right, right. As, yeah, as yeah, we yeah. age. And thank you so much for being our guest co-host today. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm excited. So I want to introduce our uh, our incredible guest, but I'm actually going to turn that over to you, Dave, to talk about what we're going to talk about today and our our amazing uh, guests for doing so. Yeah, thank you very much, Carrie. Uh, today we're talking about puppy mills, those uh, large breeding facilities that sell pets through some pet stores online and through some newspapers. And every year our Stop Puppy Mills campaign generates a list of 100 awful puppy mills. It's appropriately called the Horrible 100. And this is their 10th annual report. So today I'm excited that our guest is Kathleen Summers, who is the Director of Outreach and Research for our Stop Puppy Mills campaign and another longtime colleague. Welcome to Humane Voices, Kathleen. Thank you. You know, Kathleen, we didn't actually stumble and call you an old colleague, so you should be very <laughs> I'm, I'm going to own it. that, you know, yeah, I'm going to yeah. own every year of my experience. I'm okay with that. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, I let's let's talk a little bit about the context of the Horrible 100 report. I mean, like this is the 10th anniversary, um, you know, on the one ha- hand, I mean, I feel like it's it's sort of something to celebrate that we're doing a 10th horrible hundred report. But on the other hand, it's really not something to celebrate that we still have to do a horrible hundred report. Right. 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 Um, well, you know, we can look at it both ways. Um, there's definitely a lot of breeders, commercial breeders, AKA puppy mills who have been in this report many times. Uh, it's kind of appalling that some of them are still in business still having violations and yet their licenses are not being taken away, which means they can still legally sell to directly to the public, to pet stores, uh, through the internet. Um, so that is very, um, upsetting, but, um, you know, we've also seen some great progress from these reports. They do help alert the public to what's going on at puppy mills Mm -hmm. and urge local authorities to take stronger action against certain dealers. Um, so we've seen some progress over the years and, um, over the past 10 years or so, we've seen about 200 of the puppy mills that have been in our reports closed down. Before we get into sort of details of this year's report, I'd love to sort of have you sort of explain to a little bit to folks about like what is what goes into actually putting this report together? Like, how do you guys do it? Sure. Um, every year we go through as many inspection reports as we can possibly get our hands on. That includes uh, USDA inspection reports of breeders who sell to pet stores and state inspection reports in states that inspect. Um, And we go through as many as we can, and we take a close look at people who have been in past reports to see, well, are they still violating? Have they had violations since they were in the last report? If they have not had any new violations, they don't go in the report. We hope that they've come into compliance um, with at least with those minimal laws that exist. Um, uh, but if they do have violations that we think the public needs to be aware of, uh, they will go in the report again. Um, I want to just follow up on that a little bit because the report is is extensive and you're going to give us some details on that. But there seems to be a concentration in some states, Missouri and Midwestern states. Is that because those states' policies are lax, that the enforcement is lax, or is there some other reason that this activity, the large, is, is concentrated in some states? 
Well, it's complicated. It's complicated to answer that because there are some states with severe puppy mill problems that are underrepresented in the report because they have no kennel inspection program whatsoever. So unless we happen to have USDA records um, for those states, uh, there's very little to go on in states like, for example, Arkansas. Um, but Missouri has, they definitely have a big puppy mill problem, um, but they do inspect and um, they do share records of those inspections. And every year the attorney general does penalize some puppy mills and sometimes shuts them down. Um, so I, I would like to make it simple and say that the states in the report are the only states where the big problems are, but unfortunately it's not, it's not so cut and dried. Um, you know, but another thing people should know is, is there's some states that have not met, not as many puppy mills, but they have plenty of pet stores like Florida and New Jersey and New York. So those state people in those states, there's, there's no breeders in New Jersey in this report, but there are plenty of pet stores in New Jersey that are buying from breeders in this report. Uh, so people need to know that that these breeders could be selling to any state. All right. So Kathleen, are we are we covering every state when we release these? Like, what do you see year after year? Are there some states that sort of frequent or kind of like habitual offenders as as a sort of collective? I mean, are there some states that you see crop up and then then kind of cyclically move off, or what's the deal? Well, Missouri definitely has a big puppy mill problem, and they have been top in our report for 10 years in a row. Uh, but, you know, as I mentioned before, there's some states that don't have many breeders in the report, but they have a lot of pet stores. Mm. And so breeders who are a problem in Missouri or Iowa are selling to a lot of pet stores in, in other states. So, you know, this is why we ask people if they're thinking of getting a dog that, to go visit the breeder in person and uh, or go to a shelter, of course. Um, but not to buy from pet stores or online because they don't really know they don't really know the conditions that the dogs are living in if they don't visit in person. Yeah, I mean, and speaking of sort of misunderstandings around this, like one of the things that I I think it would be great if you could talk a little bit about. I mean, I see sometimes on our our social media feeds and and in just sort of general commentary. Why don't you? Why don't we just shut out, shut down all the puppy mills as though you know, like they're illegal businesses. You know, like that. They're like it's like it's puppy mill is not like a dog fight, right? It's not specifically illegal business, but there are practices happening at some of these places that are in violation of the laws. Is that correct? I mean, that's why we can't just go out and just immediately close all these places down. Right. We need stronger laws first mm -hmm. and foremost, but. Um... You know, we'd love to pass a federal law tomorrow that says, you know, all puppy puppy mills are outlawed, you know, but um, but we all know that Congress is, doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> so even laws that everybody would think would be easy to agree on um, are, are very hard to get through the system. Uh, and there's disagreement on what what a puppy mill is. I mean, some people would say, well, you know, this person had some violations, but allegedly they corrected them at the next visit. Um Whereas my argument would be, well, the USDA found violations on the one day that they came. What else happens the other 364 days of the year? Mm -hmm. You know, I tend to think there's probably a lot more problems at each of these places that we don't even know about because mm -hmm. we've only seen a tiny, tiny little slice of their life, which is what were the conditions, the exact, the exact hour that the inspector was there. 
So it seems like part of the issue is that more inspections are needed, like more visits. Is I mean, that that seems like, you know, if we've got a case where, you know, I'll tell you what, there is one day a year that my house is really clean. Um, and so if I had the USDA into my house, that's the day that I would invite them. But, you know, I definitely don't want them in my house the rest of the year. I mean, it sounds like that's kind of a situation that that we are probably seeing. Right, right. And then we have some states that are that are the very, very favorable to the breeders. So for mm. example, this year, Ohio would not send us any records um, mm. for the report. We requested them in February, like we always do. And, you know, as of today, they still have not sent us a, a single report. Um, and what we're hearing from that agency is that they, not only do we not know if they've been inspecting at all or what they've been finding, mm. but they also told us that if they go out and find a violation and it's something that the breeder corrects while they're there, they mark it as compliant. Hmm. Now, excuse me, but when a police right. officer stops me for speeding in my car and I've now stopped my car, I still get it. You're now not speeding, speeding right? <laughs> because I was speeding two minutes ago, right? Yeah, so yeah. shockingly, the Ohio apparently is going into these facilities and finding and saying, oh, you know, you've got piles of feces here and dogs that are matted and we can't tell which end is their head and which end is their tail, but go ahead and take those clippers out. And as long as you shave that dog while we're here on the property, mm. who's obviously been matted for a year or more, wow. as long as you take care of it while we're on the property, we're not going to cite you for it. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. So you must, so you've got to wonder like these violations that they do document are only the tip of the iceberg. So Kathleen, there seems to be a lot of bad actors here. I mean, certainly the breeders themselves are trying to cut corners and raising animals in substandard conditions. But we're going to talk about Petland, too, because that seems to be the major pet retailer that still is selling puppy mill puppies. Yeah, because a lot of them uh, have stopped. Like a lot yeah. of the big retailers have recognized this is not a good model. We're going to stop selling puppies. And Petland right. has not. Right. So Petland is the only national pet store chain uh, across the country that is still selling puppies. Mm -hmm. um, many, many other successful national chains, all the rest of them have stopped selling puppies or they never did to begin with. Hmm. Um, so what we're finding is that Petland is routinely telling um, not just their customers, but decision makers um, in Congress, for example, that that they deal only with these well-inspected high quality breeders. And we're finding that that's just not the case. There were at least 11 breeders in this report who sold to Petland stores recently within the last couple of years. Mm. Um, and some of them are the people I mentioned that have, that maybe failed three inspections in Missouri, but USDA hasn't even been out to inspect them or, or if they did, they haven't cited them for anything. Mm. Um, so, so indeed, uh, Petland is probably telling the truth in, in some cases where they're saying, well, these breeders don't have any violations on their records. Uh, but then, you know, they're, they're still terrible puppy mills. We're finding we have photographs from the state. We have inspection reports from the state that shows that some of these people have significant violations again and again. And they're still selling to pet stores, including Petland. So before we talk, I, I want to talk a little bit about the kind of conditions that people that, that you have documented and that are found at some of these mills, because I, I think that, you know, like when we're talking about, you know, breeders, I, I think folks who haven't necessarily kind of delved into this topic, maybe picturing, you know, a sort of small family type operation where the dogs are raised, you know, in the home. And so I just maybe it would help a little bit to provide some context for people who are newer to this issue to talk a little bit about like what does the standard puppy mill look like and what kind of things do you see in some of the dogs there? 
you know, there's partial truth to that as well, that there, there often are families living on these same compounds mm-hmm. with the poppy mills and, you know, on a large farm. Um, and what sometimes when they're advertising they're online, for example, they'll say, well, we have a family farm and we have 20 acres of grassy space for the dogs to run in. Uh, but in reality, what we see when we look at the inspection reports is the dogs aren't living on that grassy mm-hmm. acreage. Right. They're in stacked cages in a barn. Yeah, so the acres are there, but the dogs don't have access to those. The acres are there keeping a distance between the right. public driving yeah. by and, exactly. and what the reality is mm-hmm. in the barn. Um, and it's heartbreaking, really. I mean, I mean, it's, it's you know, I've been to some of these places and I've seen those beautiful rolling hills of green grass. Mm-hmm. And I see that barn in the distance and I think, wow, you know, this is a tragedy. You know, this is a tragedy. The animals should be able to run run in the grass and feel the, feel the fresh air on their faces. You know, Mm -hmm. if we can't give them that, you know, then, you know, we're just really missing the mark as a society, but um, yeah, yeah, but, you know, but that being said, you know, some people think a puppy mill is more like a factory farm for animals. And in some, in some ways it is, Um, it really runs the gamut. I mean, there's some people that have a puppy mill sort of just confined to their garage. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's some people that do breed the bigger dogs. And so they have more like the chain link dog run type situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But what the the main hallmark of the puppy mills is that the main focus, their main focus is on making a profit, which means that if an animal is sick or injured, um, he's not going to the vet like you, you or I, you know, might immediately take a dog to the vet if mm. they have um, a wound or if they're losing weight or something. And um, puppy mills generally are not doing that. I don't know if you guys can hear this, but right now Floof is starting to snarl. Just listen. Floof, Floof is a puppy, puppy mill rescue dog and he is in my office right now and he is clearly listening to this interview and probably having flashbacks of some sort because he is he is snarling angrily over oh, here. Oh dear. Yeah, peer, he can probably get attention in my voice as I get exactly. Yes. He's like, I remember what she's talking about and I'm really mad. And, yes. and and that's why we're both engaged on this topic. I have a puppy mill dog laying down here too, Franny, mm-hmm. who we got from a Wisconsin puppy mill where the mother dog was so stressed she chewed Franny's right left left rear foot off. Oh and, my gosh! Uh, Dave. And, yeah, oh. and we picked her up. She's a wonderful dog. But so my my learning point on all this is we see a lot of puppy mills in the paper. And then people will call me and say, do you know this place? And I'd say, what did you, what did they say? And they say, well, we, we have that 20 acres of green grass, but we want to meet you in the Walmart parking lot Mm -hmm. to transfer the dog. And I say, well, that's big enough red flag. If they're, if they're not invited. Giant red light saying, do not, (laughs) do not buy a dog from this person. Yeah. Or if they have six breeds in their advertisement and say, you know, we have puppies every month. Mm. run run from those situations so that's the kind of education i think you're trying to to give to the public right right so i mean there certainly are some responsible dog breeders um you know we would like to see every mother dog be a pet you know a pet who is you know has a bed to sleep in and preferably lives in the breeder's home and um a responsible breeder will be able to give you voluminous records to show that the dog mom and dad are healthy 
and that they, you know, they've been cleared for certain congenital issues that might affect their particular breed. Um, so, you know, we're not saying there's no good dog breeders out there. There certainly are, but there's also a lot of people who are going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. Mm. And none of them are going to tell you that they're a puppy mill, if you ask. So, I mean, is this problem getting worse? Is it getting better? Are you seeing improvements? Do you think these places are starting to decline? You know, I think in some places it's getting worse in other places, mm. it's getting better. Um, for example, you know, we had this big issue with Ohio this year that gave us documents for the past couple of years. And suddenly this year was not able to give us documents in a timely manner. Um, that leads to great concern about what is happening in Ohio. Mm. What are they doing to enforce their law, if anything? Um, you know, on the other hand, you know, several states, five states so far have passed laws to ban the sale of puppies in pet stores. And that's huge. You know, that is huge. New York is considering it as well. And they're halfway there. And if New York passes that law, we're going to put a huge, huge dent in puppy mills because we need to we need to get rid of these storefronts where they can sell, where the public is not really able to see where the dog really came from. So, Kathleen, you probably encounter this on a regular basis. Like, I, I think that, you know, probably all of us who are in animal welfare have had this experience where, you know, you are talking to a friend, talking to a family member and just sort of casually out of the blue. They're like, oh, I'm going to go get a dog. And uh, so I'm really curious about someone who's just deep, deeply engaged on this issue as you are handles those conversations when they come up. Well, I still try to encourage all my friends to visit the local shelter, I think. You know, a lot of people during the pandemic, we were hearing that many dogs in shelters were getting adopted and that um, people were having trouble finding dogs in shelters. But that was sort of a short lived problem. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people that did want a dog during the pandemic have gotten one. Um, and now we're hearing that shelters are once again full. Um, I was looking at my local shelters pages just recently and they had chihuahuas, they had beagles, they had Huskies, they had German Shepherds, they have um, obviously a lot of pit bull type dogs, but that is not the only type of dog that's found in a shelter. Mm -hmm. Although I certainly know some people who have the most wonderful dogs in the world that are pit bulls they got from shelters. Um, but there's a sort of an idea out there that, well, there's not that many dogs. And if, if, if we go, it's mostly going to be pit bulls. Um, I really don't think that's true. If it mm -hmm. is true, you can always go back another day or go to another shelter that's maybe just 10 miles out of your way. And I, I think that most people will find a wonderful dog that they, that they will fall in love with in a shelter. Yeah. And if, even if you don't, I mean, they're beyond the shelter, there are local rescue groups and, you know, that specialize in particular breeds that are all sort of doing their part to sort of help deal with the sort of homeless animal problem. I mean, and I mean, and barring that, like you said, there are some small breeders that are doing this responsibly. You just have to be very, very careful in terms of making sure you're actually seeing their spaces. Right. And you have to slow down, you know, you're, yeah. you're not going to get a Boston Terrier tomorrow if you're dealing with a reputable breeder, mm -hmm. you know, they might say to you, well, I have a, a you know, a possibly a breeding coming up in six months. And you might have to wait a little bit to make sure that you're getting, you know, a quality, healthy dog from a good breeder. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, you know, it's funny because I think that in some ways it's just a matter of people needing to sort of adjust how they think about this sort of quote acquisition of, a, of an animal, like people plan their families so they should sort of transition that thinking to planning this kind of family member. Right. I mean, right. you don't, Absolutely. you're not going to have a, you're not going to get pregnant and have your kid tomorrow. Like that's not how right. this works. So think yeah. of it as something you plan for. 
Yeah. Impulse adoptions is a huge part of this. People mm-hmm. seeing that cute little puppy in the pet store or the paper and then mm-hmm. going for it. So, so I, um, on your, on your webpage, you give people an opportunity to contact Petland and ask them to stop uh, selling livestock, live puppies. And um, we, throughout, we're educating the public to consider shelters first and to, and to check out. But is there anything our listeners can do to try to correct the USDA apathy uh, to give them uh, uh direction to do better enforcement? Is there anything the average citizen can do on that level? Oh, sure. Absolutely. They can reach out to USDA. There's some contact information on their webpage and say, hey, you know, we want you to increase the standards, increase the enforcement, um, and, you know, just do a better job of enforcing. But also we need better standards because even the breeders that are compliant with the current standards can still keep dogs in these small wire stacked cages their entire lives as long as the cages are clean um, and the dog has food and water. So we want to ask USDA to raise their standards, to increase enforcement. There's also a bill pending in Congress that would force USDA to do this. Um, And that is, uh, there's some information, I believe it's humanesociety.org slash puppy protection. It's called the Puppy Protection Act. And it would do away with these stacked wire cages at USDA facilities uh, it would require the dogs to have more space, better vet care, better protection from the elements. And it would require breeders who are done with their breeding dogs to try to find homes for them rather than mm. simply destroying them. That's excellent. And maybe something we'll talk about it or enforce it working on TAFA. Yeah. But usually for federal legislation like that, there's a couple of states that are that have passed good legislation that are used as a model. Do we have any states that have good puppy mill laws? You know, Shockingly, there are some states like Missouri keeps coming up again and again. Um, they do have a big puppy mill problem, but they also have a, a, a somewhat decent inspection program where they mm-hmm. go out generally twice a year. And so does uh, Pennsylvania, for example. Um, what they might be lacking in is the penalties. Mm-hmm. They may cite somebody again and again, and their inspectors might even be doing a really good job of, of writing down every detail in a very enforceable way. Uh, but then the, that also needs to go to enforcement and there needs to be a penalty that's really meaningful for that person. Otherwise, it's just it's just documents that nobody sees until we put them in the Horrible 100 report. So when you do put those documents in the Horrible 100 report, I mean, and this starts getting out, I mean, do you see effects from from that? I think I think in the past when when this sort of stuff gets covered, it does tend to have some some ripple effects. Right. Right. I think it helps. Um, it helps bring some puppy mills back into the limelight, so to speak. Um, Even people that work in some agencies like USDA, for example, they're not, somebody high up at USDA is not reading every inspection report that Mm -hmm. every inspection report that comes, um, that gets put up on their website. Um, So, you know, we do it for them and we say, hey, you know, we'll then go to USDA and say, hey, here's some examples of some of the most egregious issues that we think are happening. And, um, you know, it gives them a, a place to focus. Mm. Um, and of course, lawmakers too look at this report to see, well, like, what are the issues in my state? Or what are the issues with people who are selling puppies to pet stores in my state? Um, and do I want to sign on to Puppy Protection Act? Or how do I want to, how do I want to deal with the, the fact that my constituents are calling me with outrage about puppy mills? Mm. So another follow-up on if our listeners know of a puppy mill in their area, 
Do they first report that to the county sheriff, to whatever? How do they get this puppy mill on the map? That's a that's um, definitely now it. As we discussed, a lot of these puppy mills are considered legal, even though the conditions are not good. Um, but if they do suspect that conditions might be illegal, uh, they should contact their local humane law enforcement, which is often a local shelter. Or if there's no local shelter with animal um, animal humane officers, that is, um, then a local sheriff would be a good start. They can also report it to us at humanesociety.org slash report a puppy mill. But uh, one of the first questions we will ask is, did you report it locally first? Because, mm -hmm. of course, um, those are the people who are closest and, and know their local laws the best. Um, but if, if, if for some reason the person wants to be anonymous and would rather have us report it, we will, we will do that for them. Um, so one of the summary things when I read the article, this is a, a list of 100 really awful puppy mills, but it's not a list of the 100 worst puppy mills. In America, and I think, I think uh, it'd be neat to see a list generated of those. But again, you, we can only base it on the information we get. Um, so, if uh, as again as a citizen, other than those three things, uh, contacting Petland, uh, not looking where I'm buying my pet, and contacting the USDA and supporting that uh, Improvement Act, is there anything else listeners can do as a citizen? Well. You know, uh, adoption is the easiest way to avoid puppy mills. If you're getting a dog adopt from a from a rescue group, from a shelter, that's the easiest way to make sure you're not getting a puppy mill dog. Um, but if you do go somewhere and you see conditions that trouble you, definitely report it. Um, you know, most puppy mills that I know that have been shut down have been um, because somebody who visited the property contacted authorities. Excellent. All right. Uh, so Kathleen, I think one question we wanted to follow up with you to sort of just lighten the mood just a little bit. You've been doing this a long time. Your team has been doing this a long time. You guys are, I mean, you've been doing it like 16 years and I know you've got a great team who works with you developing this report and doing all the research. I know that the research itself, it doesn't necessarily translate into an action movie, but you know, we went, we asked this question when Carol Baskin was on the pod last time, but if you ever sort of, if we ever developed this sort of like conspiracy thriller about, you know, the, the, the crack team out there figuring out like what the what the worst puppy mills around the country are like, who would you want to play you in that movie? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, the first person that springs, uh, springs to mind, she doesn't look like me, but uh, Jodie Foster. Oh, nice. Uh -huh. Clarice, Clarice of the puppy mills. She, yes, yes, she strikes me as a badass. Very or at least good. she's played those characters. All Indeed. Right. I like choice. that choice. Good choice. Very solid. Kathleen, did we miss anything that you want to say? Just adopt, adopt, adopt. Shelters need you. Shelters need you to foster. Shelters need donations and shelters need you to adopt animals and not just dogs, but cats, rabbits, guinea pigs, birds. Um, they're all at your local shelter. Fantastic. Maybe even a lizard, right, Kathleen? Uh, I've got a couple of those too. Yes. Yeah. Ah, what kind of lizards? Uh, a bearded dragon and two geckos. Ah, excellent. I'm a tortoise guy. I got six tortoises. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, everyone. Um, just as a reminder, if you're interested in this topic, if you want to learn more about it, or if you want to get involved, please go to humanesociety.org slash 100 puppy mills. That's 100, the number, and then puppy mills, no, no spaces. Um, and again, you can always get involved with us by reaching out to your state directors to help out with local and state legislation on these issues. 
So thank you so much for be here, being here. Dave, thanks for co-hosting. And Kathleen, thanks for being our guest today. And I hope that this, this year's Horrible 100 has some great results for animals. Great. Thank you. See you next episode, everyone. Right now.